Well, there's a lot to think about when you're planning a party. Uh, the time, the date, the location, the theme, uh, who you're going to invite. And once you've figured all that out, you also need to consider the supplies you will need. Some of you are in the thick of this right now, planning birthday parties, or in some cases, weddings. Uh, you want the big day to go well, and you might even hire a wedding planner to help manage all those tiny but important details. And now what we've just read has to be the wedding planner's worst nightmare. Uh, the wedding at Cana in Galilee is in full swing. Everyone is there having a great time, enjoying themselves, and then, then word comes from the kitchen. Uh, there is a crisis. The wine has run out. Uh, what are they going to do? Unless they do something, really, the wedding is ruined. And yet, as is often the case, one man's tragedy turns out to be another man's opportunity. Because this is where Jesus is about to perform his very first public miracle. Uh, look down at verse 11. It gives us a summary of what this passage is all about. Uh, verse 11. At this, the first of his signs he did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. In other words, while this was a big day for the bride and groom, in another way it was a much bigger day for Jesus and his disciples. You see, as one commentator puts it, Jesus' miracles are never simply naked displays of power, still less neat conjuring tricks to impress the masses. No, John tells us they are signs. Now, that's the word that John in his gospel uses again and again. But what is a sign? Well, a sign is something that points beyond itself. But we're told that through these signs, Jesus manifests his glory. That is, through this sign, he makes visible what otherwise would be invisible. In other words, these miracles in John are like huge glowing arrows in the sky pointing down towards Jesus. Uh, there in a small town in Galilee, it's like a huge spotlight shone from heaven. Uh, see this man. Uh, he is the eternal word of God made flesh. He is God come to earth. Jesus Christ is the son of God. And so what is this sign about then in John uh, chapter 2? Well, it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Jesus turns water into wine. It's a great miracle. Surely it's something that only God could do. And yet there's more going on. We need to ask, what does this sign mean? How does it manifest Jesus' glory. Uh, why should we believe in him because of this sign? Uh, if this mir miraculous uh, act is a signpost, where exactly does it point? Uh, well, what it points to is this. It tells us that Jesus is the only way to experience God's blessing. He is the only way to experience God's blessing now in this life and on into eternity. Uh, without him, we are under God's wrath. We're under God's curse. But Jesus came to reverse that curse and to unlock all of God's promised blessings. And that becomes clear as we see this in its broader biblical context. I mean, uh, this is about wine. This is about a wedding. And if you know the Bible, you'll know these are two common biblical themes. Two themes that encourage us to look well beyond this one event. Uh, themes that encourage us to find the parallels between what happens here and our own experience. Now, to draw those parallels out, we're going to work through this passage in two parts. Uh, firstly, we're going to look at the big crisis, the big crisis, uh, how the wine has run out and this wedding is ruined. Uh, and then secondly, we'll look at the blessing of Christ, uh, the big crisis and the blessing of Christ, because we see here that Jesus brings new and better wine. Uh, and we see that the new, uh, the new and better wedding is now on uh, for those who trust in him. 
Uh, Firstly, then, let's look at the big crisis. Uh, What do we mean by that? Well, in first place, I mean the crisis faced by this bride and groom. Uh, Imagine for a moment this was your wedding. Some of you perhaps uh, have nightmares about this if you're planning a wedding. Uh, or, Or think about some other party that you host. It's your kid's birthday, and it's come that time that everyone loves. It's time to cut the cake. But as you go into the kitchen, it is clear the dog got there first. There is no cake. There's just a huge mess on the counter. And so what do you do? I mean, in the other room, the lights are dimmed. People have already started to sing happy birthday. It would be very embarrassing, to say the least. You'd have a, a crying child on your hands for sure. And yet what we read about here is much worse than that. Uh, This was a culture that highly valued hospitality. Uh, The bridegroom was the one responsible for these things. And he was meant above everything to be a good host. Uh, And this is why what happens here is really a shock. We read in verse 3 that the wine ran out. And now we should remember wine at the time was hardly a luxury. Wine is what everyone drank. Often they would water it down. And yet it was a bare essential. In fact, that's why this is such a disaster. It's like he's got nothing for the people to drink. And uh, and at the time, weddings were often five-day affairs. Like, we don't even know what day it is in the wedding. This is a disaster. And it's not just a case of hurt feelings for the bride. This is the last time I trust you to go out and do the shopping. And now in the context of the first century, this was social suicide. To provide the guests with nothing to drink, it would reflect badly on the couple themselves and on their families. What a bad way to start out their life together. Now, this is the big crisis. The wine has run out, and so the wedding is ruined. Have you ever been in a situation like that? In fact, we were in a situation like that a few weeks ago when we were serving communion. I think we didn't have enough cups. There wasn't enough to go around. Or it was like leading the first adult Sunday school at Westphalia and not printing enough handouts. Seriously, though, have you ever been in a situation where you've tried to perhaps conceal the fact that you lacked something or were weak in some particular area just to avoid the shame and the embarrassment that would ensue? Uh, this is a big crisis indeed. And, and what I want to suggest is that, that this uh, crisis at this wedding actually points to a greater crisis, not, not just for this couple, but actually at the time for God's chosen people, for the nation of Israel. The wine ran out. But you have to ask, well, why didn't they just run and buy some wine from their neighbors? The fact that they don't suggests that maybe it isn't just for them that the wine has run out. Perhaps there is a, a broader shortage. We know what that is like, don't we? Except the problem here, they couldn't really just chalk it up to supply chain issues. Uh, no, this is Cana in Galilee. We have to understand this is a real historical event that takes place uh, within the nation of Israel. And what does a lack of wine in Israel suggest? Uh, well, it might seem like quite a small thing, but in fact, it is a huge deal. Uh, one of the very images God uses to describe his blessing is wine. In fact, we read about it uh, earlier in Amos, didn't we? Uh, When God's people experience his blessing, it will be like wine flowing from the hills. Uh, To run out of wine in Israel can mean only one thing. It it points out just how far they are from experiencing those promised blessings. In fact, let me read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 39. Uh, This is a description not of blessing, but of curse. Remember, Moses declared both the covenant blessings on one hill and the curses on the other opposite. Uh, And this is a covenant curse. Listen to what God says when his people disobey him. Uh, In verse 39, it says, You shall plant vineyards and dress them, but you shall neither drink of the wine or gather the grapes, for the worm 
shall eat them. And so if the wine ran out at this wedding, what does it mean? Uh, Well, it suggests actually that something is seriously up with the state of God's chosen people. Imagine I came round to your house one evening, it was dinner time, you were there at the table tucking into dessert, except one of you is not at the table, we're not going to reflect on who it is. Instead, you were sat, sulking on the stairs, missing out on the cookies. What would I conclude? Well, the person sat on the stairs, did something wrong, they're experiencing the consequences of their actions. Well, so it is with the people of God. Uh, Not that this couple in particular committed some particular heinous crime. Uh, No, it points to a lack on the bigger scale, you see. The lack of wine suggests that the relationship between Israel and God is broken. And that's where this second image, the image of the wedding, comes into play as well. I mean, think about what God had promised to his chosen people, the nation of Israel. Uh, God had said, I will be yours. You will be mine. In fact, the relationship with God and his people is described throughout the scriptures as as that of a marriage. And so the prophets look forward to a final feast, the great wedding feast, the day when God finally marries his people. And if the relationship with God is so broken, if it's broken by sin, well, I suppose now the wedding is off. You see, the fact that the wine has run out and the wedding is ruined actually really presents us with, with a picture. Zoom out on this small crisis and you'll see really it's part of a bigger one. And what it suggests to us is the failure of God's covenant with his people. They should be swimming in wine, but they're not. They should be looking forward to feasting with God, but instead they, all they face really is the prospect of, of judgment. You see, don't forget this. When Jesus Christ came into the world, things were in a pretty bad way. He came into a context of curse. I mean, think about this. His people, Israel, were were subjugated to the Romans. But let me bring this home to us, because I think if we can zoom out on the wedding and and zoom out and see Israel, well, we can zoom zoom out a bit further, can't we? If the wine running out and the ruined wedding is a picture of the state of Israel, is it not actually a picture of humanity in general? The wine has run out. Isn't that really what life is like in a fallen world? I mean, look around you. What do you see? Hunger, poverty, war, injustice, sickness, broken relationships. Is there wine flowing from the hills? No, in fact, it seems that there is blood flowing. Now, are we experiencing the blessing of God on the world? In the men's Bible study, we've been reading through Genesis, uh, seeing how God made everything, ordered and structured, how he blessed us. Is that how we experience the world today? Well, in one sense, yes, we do experience God's blessing. He makes the sun rise and the rain fall on on the righteous and the unrighteous. And yet the Bible says we live under his wrath and curse. We try to live life our own way without God, and in doing so, we've made a mess of our own lives, of society, of of the world. The wine has run out. And maybe you're experiencing that right now in your life. You seem to be plagued by discouragements, by, by constant disappointment. There seems to be an iron barrier between, between you and God. You aren't experiencing his blessing and, and you don't really have hope for the future. You find yourself in crisis mode and if so, then, then let me tell you, it, it's actually worse than you think. I mean, look at the world. Does what you see fill you with hope? Is history heading towards a, a glorious feast? In reality, doesn't it seem more likely there'll be a giant flood or perhaps a nuclear holocaust? 
And here is why. God made us for a relationship with himself. And yet because of our sinful rebellion, that relationship is broken. In our sin, we're hurtling towards an eternity without him. The wine has run out, and so the wedding is ruined, not just for Israel, but for you and for me. Without the grace of Jesus Christ, things are not going to get better. I know things are going to get far, far worse. The crisis at the wedding in Cana points to this bigger crisis of sin in the world. That's what I'm suggesting. And just to be clear, I'm, I'm not just trying to allegorize here. Uh, allegorizing is when you make a story in the Bible illustrate a point that it isn't really making. All I'm trying to do is point to the fact that these images of wine and weddings are used throughout the Bible. Uh, and therefore, I, I think it is pointing to this. Remember, this is a sign. It's intended to illustrate something. Uh, but the point isn't just to emphasize the state of the world in sin. If it did that, let's be honest, it would just be very depressing. Uh, but it would also be to miss the whole point of what's going on. Uh, the very reason we have this story in John is because Jesus did something about that crisis. Uh, and in the same way, Jesus has come to deal with the crisis that we are facing. That you see in verse 3, Mary comes to Jesus and tells him, what's up? Uh, the wine has run out. The wedding is ruined. And what does Jesus say in verse 4? Really, it's such an important question. Uh, Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? What does that have to do with me? What a great question. Everything that's going on at this wedding in the world, what does Jesus have to do with any of it? Well, the answer is he has everything to do with it. And so let's move on to the second point. We've looked at the big crisis, the curse of life under sin. But now let's move on to consider the blessing of Christ, the blessing of Christ. In other words, the whole point of this sign is to, to point us to Jesus. That's what's really going on, remember. Remember the point of these miracles. They're like huge neon signs, big flashing lights. They tell us who Jesus is, and the point is to show us that he is the one that God had promised. He is the one who would lift the curse from the land, and, and not just the land, but, but the world. One who would bring God's promised blessings. One through whom wine would flow from the hills. You see, if our big crisis can be described in terms of the wine running out and, and this, this wedding being ruined, now we get a picture of what Jesus Christ can do. Now, has the wine run out? Well, through Jesus Christ, new and, and better wine is now here. And through him, we can experience the blessing of God now in this life. Uh, and yes, the wedding has been ruined by sin. Well, because of him, the wedding is now on. We can know a future with God in eternity. And we can be forgiven. We can have a sure and certain future. Uh, firstly, let's think about this new and better wine. In fact, this focus on new, better wine can be seen throughout these verses. Uh, firstly, there's an implicit contrast, isn't there, between, between Jesus Christ and, and what came before him, uh, by which I mean the Jewish law. Uh, many people put their hope in God's law to bring the blessing down. Uh, that was the problem with the Pharisees. They just thought if they doubled down on being pure and, and following God's commands, commands then, then the wine would begin to flow. And that's the way that many people approach life today, isn't it? You ask them, what is the key to the good life? Uh, well, you have to pursue wellness through, through exercise, following the right rules, eating a better diet, uh, cleansing yourselves from toxins or some other chemicals. Or maybe there's some kind of religious rituals you need to perform. Uh, rituals not unlike those performed with these jars for purification. But Jesus brings, Jesus, Jesus brings something new 
There's something better, something that really works. In verse 6, we're told about these six stone water jars used for the Jewish rites of purification. And I think these really symbolize the Old Testament law. And yet, even though they exist, even though they're there, it's hardly dealing with the curse. It's hardly bringing about God's promise, is it? Uh, And yet, when Jesus Christ literally fulfills them, fills them up to the full, it it demonstrates who he is, that he's bringing about true cleansing. Uh, Jesus is the one who fulfills the old signs and symbols given by God. And yet, Jesus does something far better than that. He, he surpasses that. He doesn't just command the servants to fill the jars. He, he turns the water into wine. He, he surpasses them. He transfigures them. Jesus does something better than anything we could have hoped for, anything we could have imagined. He does what it takes to make the wine of God's blessing flow. And all we have to do is listen to him. All we have to do is trust him. In fact, you could could look at it this way. The whole nation of Israel stood under a dark cloud. Uh, The shortage of wine is is something that that depicts that. It's something that seems to affect everyone. And yet in this one small town in Galilee, things were totally different, weren't they? Uh, There was more than enough. I mean, by my calculation, there were at least 600 or, or 900 bottles of wine in those jars. Now that's quite some party, isn't it? And this is the fulfillment of the prophecy that we read, the words that we read earlier from Amos. Uh, they, there we saw this promise that one day when the Messiah comes, the hills would flow with wine. In fact, it's interesting, some commentators believe that that may actually have happened literally in this miracle. Uh, one way to translate these verses suggests that the wine didn't come from the jars at all. Now, I, this is something I'd not heard before, but uh, actually the, the verb that's used here suggests that after the jars were filled, Jesus commands the servant to continue drawing water from the well. And that's the water that they give to the people, the water that turns into wine. And if so, then, then wine is literally flowing in the hills. Uh, I'm not totally convinced by that, but either way, the whole point is that, that they experience God's blessing in abundance. It's like this. It's like the cloud parts over this one small village for a short time. And, uh, and the sun, the blessing of God, shines down on this wedding. But while everyone else is struggling to get by in this one town, they're full of joy, full of abundance. Uh, and it, uh, so much so that even the master of the feast recognizes that something is new, something has changed, something is different. Uh, having tasted this wine, he says in verse 10, everyone serves the good wine first, but when people have drunk freely, but then the poor wine, but, but you've kept the good wine until now. You've kept the good wine until now. Surely those words mean more than simply the wine tastes good. There are many great blessings that God gave before the coming of Christ, but the good wine, the best wine, the true wine, the real blessing comes only to those who trust in Jesus. And so do you want to know the blessing of God in your life now? Uh, Do you want to see the clouds part and the sun break through in your experience? I asked a moment ago, do you feel like the wine is running out? Are you confronted by by the lack that's so often part of our fallen existence? If so, then Jesus is the only one who can make the good wine flow. Uh, Now, when I say that, I don't mean to suggest that that everything will go well to you all of the time or or that you'll never actually experience this, this big crisis. Uh, No, Uh, but as the psalmist famously writes, God can cause your cup to overflow. And he can do that even in the presence of your enemies. Uh, Through Christ, you can know the blessing of God in this sense. You can know that you are right with God. 
You can know that when bad things happen, it isn't a sign that God is against you. I know if you trust in Jesus Christ, then you know actually the sun is shining down, whether you feel it or not. Because of the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ, God is smiling on you. And that is what I mean when I say Jesus is the only way to experience this blessing of God. Apart from him, we're under God's wrath, under God's curse. And yet he alone can make this new true wine of God's blessing flow. Jesus brings the blessing of God. That's the point we're making. This is what this sign shows. Jesus has come to deal with the big crisis symbolized by this lack of wine. And Jesus provides a new, better solution than anything that came before. And if that is true, we can say more than that, can't we? We can see something not just about our own lives now, but something off into the future. We've looked at this image of wine, but what about the wedding, the wedding feast? Uh, the wine had run out. The wedding was ruined. Man's relationship uh, is broken with God. And, and so where is the hope? Uh, but if Jesus came to deal with that, if he can give us uh, new wine, then we can conclude then the wedding is now on. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, because of Christ, we now have a hope, uh, a hope, a future with God in eternity. The feast is now on. God had promised that's how history would end. Uh, but left to ourselves, we wouldn't be having a feast. We'd, we'd live with an eternity of want. And yet we haven't been left to ourselves. This is the good news. Uh, no, Jesus has come for this very reason to make that future feast a possibility. Uh, just as he intervened to save this wedding here in Cana, so he has intervened in human history to, to save that final wedding also. Uh, he's made it possible for God to marry his people just as he promised. In fact, if you look carefully here at, uh, in John chapter 2, you even get a sense of how, how it is that Jesus makes this great feast possible. Uh, sure, in this small crisis, he turns water into wine to fix the feast, but, but how does he deal with this big crisis? How will Jesus bring the blessing of God and secure eternity for you and me? Well, well notice back in chapter 4 what Jesus says when Mary asks him for help. What does this have to do with me, he says, my hour? has not yet come. And now, in fact, that suggests, I think, that Jesus is, is uh, interpreting Mary's statement very much in the way that we have, that, that he's, his hour, the hour that's coming, is the one where he's going to deal with the bigger problem. Uh, there will be an hour, says Jesus. There will be an hour when I do what it takes, uh, when he will deal not only with the lack of wine, but also with the deeper problem of sin, with the fact that you and I can't, in our sin, experience God's blessing. But what is that hour? Jesus does this miracle. But what is the hour that has not yet come? Well, well, in the Gospel of John, Jesus' hour means only one thing. Trace through the Gospel and you'll see it. Jesus' hour refers to the hour of his death, the hour of his crucifixion. And this is how Jesus brings the blessing of God. This is how Jesus is able to make new wine flow. That in that hour on the cross, Jesus bore the curse for us. In fact, it's as if Jesus climbed down into the wine press, we might say, and on the cross, Jesus Christ is crushed. And as he is crushed, as the curse is poured out on him, the new wine is poured out on us. Uh, Jesus' death on the cross is the key. This is how he deals with our sin. Uh, and yet, this isn't the whole story, is it? Because Jesus didn't stay dead. No, he rose from the dead. He is alive even now. And he's preparing that feast. In fact, he says, in my father's house are many rooms, and I, I go to prepare a place for you. 
Uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the way that Jesus gives us this new uh, and better wine. That is why the wedding is now on. That is how we'll get to the feast. And Jesus died. He has been raised and he's now seated on the throne. Uh, this is our hope. This is why we can be secure in the blessing of God. And in, just in case you aren't convinced that that's what John 2 is really all, all about, then let me just point out one small uh, tiny detail. Uh, look there at verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana and Galilee. <clears throat> On the third day, did you notice that? Do you think that phrase might be significant? In fact, look just down the plate, uh, page um, at verse 19. What else will happen on the third day? In verse 19, Jesus says, destroy this temple. In three days, I will raise it up. Uh, and the disciples then discovered later, Jesus was referring to his resurrection. You see, when you step back, the fact that this takes place on the third day points to this glorious truth, that it's through his death and resurrection, Jesus brings the blessing of God to God's people. Now, when you step back and look at this wine and this wedding, hopefully you can see it is indeed a sign. It's something that points to who Jesus Christ is, something that pulls back, pulls back the veil and, and manifests his glory as our saviour. It tells us that Jesus came to deal with the big crisis, the wine has run out and, and the wedding, our future with God has been ruined. And that's the state of humanity in our sin. And yet this is the blessing of Christ. New and better wine is here. Uh, in this life we can be right with God. We can know his smile, his blessing. And because of him the wedding is now on. Uh, truly Jesus is the only way to experience God's blessing now in this life and on into eternity. Uh, knowing this surely gives us hope and confidence no matter what, what, what earthly crisis we face. Uh, knowing the blessing of Christ means that we can trust him, uh, perhaps especially when life doesn't feel like a party. Uh, knowing this can guard us as well. I mean, there are so many other things out there we can be tempted to turn to in order to secure the good life, to secure a blessing and to feel secure about our future. Uh, finances, friendships, maybe even religion itself. Uh, we do this perhaps especially when we feel the pinch of, of this big crisis. Uh, when, we look, uh, when it looks like the wine is running out, running out when it, it feels like the future is just so uncertain. Uh, sometimes it feels like it's all over. That's how it must have felt for this bride and groom. I mean, maybe they should have hired a, a better wedding planner. Well, in a similar way, all of us know and experience the big crisis of life in this fallen world. Uh, but do you know you can experience the blessing of Christ amid it? Uh, that's what this sign points to. Uh, if you've never experienced that blessing, you can do it even now. Just turn to him and put your faith in him. Jesus manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. That's the response he's calling for. And so may God help each of us see his glory and believe in him so that both now and in eternity we can know God's blessing. Let's pray, shall we? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this sign. Thank you that it points to the fact that Jesus Christ is our Savior. I thank you, God, that you've fulfilled your promises, that you, in Christ, have removed that barrier from us experiencing the blessing of God. And so we pray for each one of us here that you'd fill us with a knowledge of your smile, your blessing to us in Christ, and, and give us great hope for the future. Lord Jesus, you displayed your glory, so help us to see that glory and believe in you. And we pray all of this 
In Jesus Christ's name, amen.